Thanks very much, Nadia. Um, and so to our opening panel. Um, can I ask, please, um, Bonim Kunu to come up, uh, who is General Manager of East Coast Radio. Help yourself to a mic. Uh, Nada Wachella, who's head of radio at the SABC. Um, <laughs> formerly station manager at Umshobo Wenene, uh, and various other places. Joan Warner, uh, CEO of Commercial Radio Australia. And Omar Esok, who is CEO of Prime Media, formerly from Tahiso. Um and before we probably get going, I've been asked, please, to remind you to follow us on Twitter, Radio Days Africa, um, and also tweet often, tweet early, tweet smartly. RDA18, you'll see the hashtag over there. So this is going to be a kind of discussion, an informal discussion between four smart radio people um, and myself. Um, I've, I've got a series of things that I've, I'd like to pitch at them and see how they respond. Um, I will also, as time goes on, we have about an hour, uh, invite you also in, into the discussion if you have particular points. Um, so, you know, if you have something, please, by all means, um, you know, throw that into the mix. So, the theme of the event, the theme of the conference is hashtag storytelling, which is a reminder, really, that at the core of what we do um, is that exactly that, telling stories. And for present purposes, that includes playing music and all the other things that we do, because those are all forms, I think, of stories. Um, and I think it's worth remembering that in this country, we can trace our lineage back to storytellers like Kabul, the um, Bushman slash Sand storyteller, who has given us an enormous wealth of insight into that very ancient art of storytelling. That is the tradition that we stand in. Of course, underneath that, there are a whole lot of issues around funding, around new technology, around all sorts of things. And these are the specifics that will come up um, during the course of the, of the, of the, of the couple of days. Um, I thought, though, that I would start with a story, a fairy tale. Um, and I will ask you at the end to finish it, or to continue it. Um, so I'll tell you the story, I'll give you a chance to think about it as we canvas various other issues around the SABC, around new media and so on, and then we'll come back to it at the end. The story is called Radio and the Seven Dwarves. <laughs> and it goes as follows. Once upon a time, Around a hundred years ago or so, in a land far, far away, a princess was born. Like all parents, hers were delighted with the child, and even more so when they realized her strongest feature was this most extraordinary voice. It was a voice that carried far, um, speak to people right in their homes, as if she was a trusted friend everywhere. And so they named her the Princess Radio. And people across the land found themselves listening to her and found a new sense of community in the knowledge that they were listening with others even though they were not in the same place. They might be sitting with their family in the sitting room and feel connected with others they could not see and did not know personally. And I think from today's vantage point we forget how magical that was. It was the first time that that became possible. 
It was truly a magical experience. And so audiences were created of sports enthusiasts, music lovers of various kinds, of soap opera followers, news buffs, and many others. And so the years went by and the princess became the people's favorite. And one day, another child was born and the parents were once again delighted. This child had an extraordinary ability to see far. And so they called her television. And people across the land feared for the first princess and for her popularity. For was it not logical that if you can see and hear, that's better than just hearing? But actually, they didn't need to worry. The younger sister became popular in her own right, but the people continued to love the older sister just as much as before, and her power remained strong. Unfortunately, that power was sometimes misused. We think, for instance, of the evil brothers apartheid, who used that power to divide and sow hate. But that's, those are stories for another day. And so the years went by until several further children were born. The older sisters, as children often do when they're faced with much younger siblings, thought it was a bit icky to think that their parents were indulged in, in such activities, and called, <laughs> and called their, the new siblings the seven dwarves. These were the internet, streaming audio, music services, whole clutch of social media platforms, and various others. Once again, people peer, feared for Princess Radio, particularly as the seven dwarves took many of the toys of the family's oldest son, Prince Print, who as a result went into something of a decline. So that's where I'm going to pause, right? That's where we are. And at the end, I'll ask you to continue the story. But let's kind of focus down into some of the specifics of the things that we're talking about. Let me start with you, Joan. Joan has come fairly swiftly from a big radio conference in Asia, Singapore, last week. I think she had a weekend at home um, and then flew on to us on Monday. In Singapore, you said um, that the task of us all, if I have this correctly, that our task really is to grow radio. And I was interested in that because, you know, we, we worry about other media taking away share, which is a kind of defensive position. But you're saying we should grow it. Is that realistic? I mean, you're at about 88% penetration, I think, in Australia. Here we're in the early 90s. How much more can we have? Uh, we're at 95% um, okay. <clears throat> listening, Australians listen, and 80% of that is to commercial radio, which I'm very pleased to say. Um, our public service broadcasters get about 20% of the listening, on average. Um, I think we are growing radio in Australia. Where, uh, you know, I've been head of the commercial industry organisation for a number of years now, and the attitude and the spirit of radio in Australia has changed. We're much more um, confident in ourselves. When I first came into this game 15 years ago, um, radio had that chip on its shoulder. Oh, we're radio. We're radio. Oh, you know, we've got to go cap in hand. We've got to uh, try and keep our, you know, defend ourselves, defend, defend, defend. Um, but, you know, you only need a few visionaries in an industry to say, well, yeah, we have to defend our share. We do have to defend our share of the revenue, of course. Um, but we've also got to grow it. Like, in Australia, we've got eight... And, and I'm not talking about growing audience, because radio's got a great audience everywhere, around the world. Wherever I go and speak, all the broadcasters say, yep, 
we've got high radio listenership here and you know millions and millions of people depending on the country use radio every week so our audiences still love us what I talk about growing is growing our share of the advertising pie because I'm from a commercial background and you know we've sat in Australia and you know good on us pat on the back we've sat there at about eight cents in the dollar for the last 10 years now we haven't lost anything all of our old our brothers and sisters in traditional media have lost revenue share and have lost audience as well including TV um, but, and we're happy that in spite of all the assaults, we've retained our share of the ad pine, our audience is growing. But we've got to grow in line with our influence, the influence and power that we have as radio, both in broadcast and across platform. As a commercial um, group, we want to grow our share of the ad dollar. So we can grow, audience growth is difficult because yeah, we're at 95% in Australia for radio, that's the whole industry. How much more do you want? Well, we'd like 100%, but you're never that lucky. Um, we've got to grow our influence across platform. That's the other thing we have to grow instead of just sitting in our little you know, AM and FM uh, mm -hmm. backwater and hoping that'll see us through. Uh, but we've also got to grow our revenue share. We really do. Uh, how can you have 95% of people listening to you and only get eight cents in the ad dollar? It's ridiculous. Yep. Fair point. Um, any remarks on that, Omar? And what are the obstacles here, do you think, to growing that share for radio? Well, we already have in South Africa probably one of the largest shares in the world for radio. Um, I think it varies between, well, at some stage it was 14 cents in the Rand. I think it might fluctuate down to 11 cents depending on macroeconomic issues. So it's. Uh, punching above its weight relative to its siblings around the world. Um, but I think we do have, uh, obviously, a hard job to continue to uh, um, tell uh, our buyers that uh, we remain relevant and, most importantly, we provide a return on investment. And the reality is that uh, more and more um, advertisers do test whether their messaging on radio works. And the good news is it does. So, you know, we've done a couple of pilot studies with uh, a few online businesses, small businesses, that were looking to grow their um, uh, share of the retail pie. And uh, consistently among those uh, four that we did a pilot, they grew uh, volume of sales 30%, which shows that radio works. So uh, I think obviously we're not sexy. Uh, online media is sexy. Online media also does an extraordinary job of positioning itself as a sort of, in some cases, as some sort of silver bullet. That they, you can actually see whether customers are interested in your product. Uh, they're not just, you know, glancing at it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stories emerging about, uh, you know, uh, the power that online media has. It's more effective from a cost perspective for its reach. We don't tell our stories strongly enough, uh, and I think that's part of one of the issues that you were going to raise in this discussion uh, about how much more collaboration is needed. Because, um, you know, Google is enormous scale, global, and the, the Google Middle East Africa person is very happy to fly in and talk to all of the advertising agencies and uh, do incredible presentations, and so does Facebook coming in and everybody's happy to meet them to understand what's going on. How much of that are we doing? So I think we do have a responsibility to invest more 
in showing consistently how effective we can be. And I think sometimes we don't put in all that effort. I mean, we've disbanded a radio advertising bureau in this country, uh, which is hugely unfortunate because that's what Commercial Radio Australia is all about. It's going and constantly proving the case around how radio can effectively move sales, move vehicles, move uh, product. And I think we, we really do need to get our act together uh, in this country. Otherwise, our lunch will be eaten. So <clears throat> the audience numbers are, are fine. It's a question of, of, of turning that into, into money. Nada, at the SABC, I mean, of course, more than anyone, your audience numbers really are fantastic. Um, some of the greatest, biggest stations anywhere, really, are, are under your portfolio. Um, I, but clearly there is a money issue. You're part of a new management team there. Can you say something about the SABC's plans? Um, thank you, thanks, Hans. <coughs> thank you, Franz. Yes, the money is a big issue right now um, at the SABC. The audience figures are fantastic, and what we're actually seeing right now um, is, is very interesting. Our African language radio stations are bringing in um, you know, much more revenue than they have traditionally. And you know, traditionally, we've had to rely on the commercial radio stations, but the African language radio stations, which are part of the public broadcasting portfolio, um, are the ones that are now bringing home the bacon, which is something very interesting. Um, and, and to me, it says that the advertisers are beginning to see the, the value of the audiences that are carried by these um, radio stations because previously we've had to do a lot of work convincing them that um, you know this is where the future is um, in terms of in terms of the um, emerging middle class in South Africa and uh, we, we think that now they are starting to get that message um, and that's what the new board actually is driving that if if these stations that are you know um, are supposed to be subsidized by their commercial wing of the SABC are the ones that are bringing home you know, the revenue without compromising on their mandate expectations, then we need to invest in them more and we need to educate the advertisers out there that, you know, this is where the future is. But we, we are seeing a, a bit of light, you know, um, at the end of the tunnel. Without compromising the mandate. I mean, that's a key phrase, isn't it? You know, the other day your board chair said, we need to drive the public broadcast into a commercial direction. I mean, isn't that the wrong direction? You have a public mandate. Look, I, I, I don't think that he meant we must abandon the, the, the mandate, but um, you know, every board comes with a different mandate and you know, with a different set of challenges. And the current board, what it has inherited, is a, a very dire situation at the SAPC in terms of our financials. And what I'm hearing them to be saying is, um, you know, we, we need to go back to good corporate governance we need to drive a sustainable SABC because for as long as the SABC is self-funding, there's going to be that over-reliance on commercial revenue and um, it will always be this balancing act you know, between the commercial and the public mandate. But I don't understand them to be saying abandon your mandate. Actually, what I've just said now about our African language stations, those are the stations that are over-delivering on the public service mandate but they're the stations that are bringing home the money. So it can be done. The two can coexist. 
Bonnie, I mean, from your perspective, running a commercial radio station, do you have a mic? Yes, you do. Yes, have I do. Um, I mean, clearly, it would be <coughs> advantageous if the SABC stopped taking commercial income, like I think is the case <laughs> in some countries, right? Um, I mean, how, do, you, do you think the SABC should move out of the out of the out of the commercial space? Um, actually, I think as a commercial radio station, it's important for, for, for broadcasting in general in South Africa. It's very important for SAB to function and function optimally for the industry to strive. Yeah. I think for me, one and far most important thing, SABC has to work. So the changes that we are seeing as an industry, I think they're very positive and they send a very positive uh, message to everybody who's in the broadcasting space and we actually appreciate that. However, I really think, uh, like Nadia makes the point, that the mandate that SABC is mandated to do, I think it's very important that they remain and make sure that they deliver at the core of that. So, um, but definitely, I, I think as an industry, we appreciate the changes that we are seeing at SABC, and I think they are good for the industry in general. Let me move on to something slightly different, and that's um, the, the issue of audience measurement. I mean, I'd like all of you, actually, just to tell me from a South African perspective, whether you think the BRC figures have bedded down, the new kind of measurement system is working, are there gaps in rural areas, in poorer areas? I mean, there's always a complaint that community radio, for instance, is not properly measured. How do you feel about audience measurement here? Okay. Um, so, uh, it's the best system that we have. And it's the one that we can afford. So... so we, we have to make the best of this situation. I mean, the, the reality is a lot of maths has been done about going into uh, live capture of audio through electronic means. And it's a question, we currently pay 30 million rand a year for the diary system. Uh, to move into uh, another system will double or triple that amount of money. So it really is an economic issue, uh, number one. Um, there's always going to be challenges because you cannot cover the entire population, so you're always trying to get to a statistically valid sample. Um, small stations do suffer because this is uh, random sampling and it at least is better than the old system that SOF managed uh, where uh, in many ways it's more representative uh, of uh, the population. But, uh, uh, you know, you can have uh, less sampling, fewer people sampled in certain areas, and that drops numbers for small stations. So the larger the sample, the bigger the station, the more likely you're going to get uh, uh, more accurate data. So it is a problem. So community radio is, is correct to uh, complain about the fact that there might be inaccuracies in their numbers because their numbers are smaller. Um, but unfortunately, it's the, it's, the, it's the best we have. And I know that the BRC constantly tests um, uh, to check whether they're uh, meeting the right um, standards in terms of their KPIs, including with independent uh, assessors. Uh, I, I want to give you one insight, though, about where I feel there is some validity. Two things I want to talk about. One, whether, whether I think it is reflective. And two, I want to talk about at least the fact that they're thinking about future-proofing the system. The first one is, uh, at some of the stations that we operate, we did a market study of our own, which is a radio sample of the market. We interviewed a thousand people in the same way that the diary works, which is face-to-face. -face. So there are a couple of things that we, we learned and a couple of things we learned about how difficult they are to do. But 
a year ago we did that, that particular sampling in Cape Town and in Johannesburg, and it told us things about our radio stations that were being reflected, we thought, in the audience measurement. So we learned some stuff in Cape Town, and it seemed to be completely correlated with what the result of our station in that city, or, or how our city, uh, that station was performing uh, at the time. We made a, a slew of changes. We then did the exact same type of study. Again, a thousand face-to-face -face interviews in the Cape Town Metro uh, in February. And it told us a very different story about our station uh, based on the things that we had changed. And about four weeks after that, the results came out from the independent survey, and it reflected those shifts that we had seen our audience start to tell, or not our audience, the overall audience, because it's a market study. It's not a study of that particular radio station. It talks about radio in Cape Town. And we saw those shifts come through in the diary, which gave us, I think, a lot more confidence that the diary is reflective. Now, remember, these are stations with large numbers. So they probably get that benefit of, of better sampling. But we saw that shift, and we saw when it was in a horrible place, the Rams was reflecting that. When it was in a better place, the Rams reflected that. So it gave us a little bit more confidence that there is a good correlation from our own data with, with what we saw emerge in the, in the BRC data. What we did learn, though, when we were doing these, and I'm sorry I'm taking so much time on this, but what we did learn when we did the face-to-face -face is there are issues in metropolitan areas where you can't get into houses. Remember, this is still a face-to-face -face study. I went on a fieldwork um, uh, engagement, and I can tell you, uh, th with the field worker, we knocked at 25 doors in a particular neighborhood, and nobody was interested. And that's the hard part. And you're just having to move to the next and the next and the next until someone opens the door. Which means that we're not getting to a lot of people because of issues in our country. People don't want to, who is this strange person coming to my door asking to, to give me some information. We're not, as South Africans, we've become very um, averse to that kind of engagement, obviously. So it's hard to get a diary across. Which is why one of the things we keep bringing up with BRC is, can you change that so that we move to some kind of well, one of the things they want to do is make it possible for people to just get an app and then do the diary measurement using the app. So there's no more intrusion, no physical intrusion. Knock on the door, I don't want to see you. Maybe more people are more comfortable, certainly more and more people in our country are comfortable with just interacting via their mobile phone. So hopefully that does lead to perhaps more robust sampling, uh, more people being accessible to the study, because in our gated communities, nobody's accessible. So there are those challenges that we face. But... I guess the BRC is doing the best it can. I mean, the SABC used to have a, a, a strong research department. I mean, we've heard about some independent research being done. Oh, is, I, I'm not even sure whether that still exists as, a, as, a, as an entity. And are there plans to come back to it? Um, what, what we've started doing uh, this year, actually, is to introduce some focus groups because we also feel that there are gaps in the new um, measurement uh, by BRC, so we, we, we're starting to do our own little research, but you know, that uh, big department that you're talking about, it's, uh, you know, we, we downsized quite a bit and we, we can't get them out there, you know, um, doing the research, and it's also about affordability, which you've um, touched on, um, so, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm still warming up, you know, to, to the BRC, um, because of our smaller radio stations that are still suffering, you know, major declines and especially the stations in the rural areas. So you don't know if they really, you know, um, having good samples that could tell you what exactly is going on. And the fact that, you know, we don't get, you know, the, the, 
the measurements as, as frequently as we'd like. Um, you can imagine what the smaller stations, you know, um, are doing with that kind of information. At least we, we, we can still go out there and do our own, you know, little focus groups and other types of research. But um, we're getting there. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember regular presentations when I was at the SABC by Dan van Furen, I think was his name, who was for many years the head of, head of research. Very detailed, um, you know, data. The gaps that you see in the BRC research, what, what are those? Um, like I said, I'm, the, the, I'm not confident with the rural stations and the smaller radio stations if we're reaching, you know, their target audiences. Um, you know, stations like SAFM that have a very wide reach, but you, you're really not getting uh, much. Instead, you know, it's, it's just these declines and you're not, you're not really getting a sense of what is going on. And hence, we're now investing in our own research to see what is happening in those, in those radio stations. So it's mainly the smaller, more rural stations. Smaller, more rural. By the way, if anybody wants to respond to anything that is being said, by all means. Yeah. Bonnie, what's your experience of the, of the research that you're getting? Um, you know, look, like with every change, everybody becomes unsettled. I think um, when the whole system changed from soft to REM, I mean to BRC, everybody was kind of, we wonder what's going to happen. And of course, I think it affected everybody in the industry, particularly the commercial radio station. Our numbers went from high numbers to to some of us below million numbers. So it really affected everybody. Some of us positively and some of us negatively. But I think most commercial radio stations were affected uh, negatively. That as it may, I think it's good to see today that I think a year later, the data has settled. I really think it has settled. Of course, there are still questions, like you say, Nadia, maybe in the rural communities, do, are they covering as much as they should be or not? We're not sure. But w what I can say, I think the, the, the numbers or the data has settled. Um, for instance, with us, East Coast Radio, we've grown. If you look at our numbers when we first started, we are 16% up versus where we were when the new system, when they, the methodology changed. So it's nice to see that progression. That's one. Um, however, I think the work is in progress. It's still work in progress. Uh, as we know, I think they sample about 7,000 uh, people annually, and they do diaries. I think it's about 30 to 38,000 diaries every time they do uh, diaries to allow flooding and that kind of thing. I like the point that Omar makes with regards to uh, gated communities. Are they getting into everybody's household? I always say I've never seen a diary in my neighborhood. I wish I could see one. I have never. I asked my relatives. None of my relatives have seen one. But we know it, it happens and we know it's more representative than it was many, many years ago. And I think as an industry it's important that we question where we need to question the system, but also embrace it and, and make sure that it works. Uh, I like the point made about, as well, making this electronical. Maybe, you know, asking people to, to put diary um, data on, on an app or online and that kind of thing, to allow more people and accessibility to the system. But I think the, the system is, is stabilizing and the data is a bit stable than it was when it first was introduced. In Australia, there are some attempts to use more technical means, right, to survey. I think you touched on it yesterday, but if you don't mind just giving us some of the highlights again today. Yeah, um, <coughs> we uh, survey as an industry, all the commercial industry and the ABC, which is our SABC, which does not take any advertising, we're happy to say, and will never will. Um, 
And uh, we survey eight times a year. We have eight waves. We do eight survey releases. We use diaries as the bedrock. We don't do household flooding anymore. We do one to a household. 70% uh, are placed personally and 30% are placed online and can be completed online or on a tablet or on an app. Now, that, that's not the same as the test that we ran last year, which is putting an app in a mobile phone to try and measure listening. Um, or not we, but our survey provider, GFK. Um, so we're looking at ways of enhancing the diary data. We're, we're going to continue to use diaries because, you know, they're the gold standard worldwide in terms of history and validity and reliability. We do have an independent auditor, though, that audits the figures after each survey uh, to make sure that the in-tabs have been met so that they've overplaced the diaries and we get use the right number of usable diaries back um, and that the population uh, potentials in each demo match the population potential in each area that we're surveying. So it's a fairly expensive and arduous procedure. So going to 30% online, starting at 20% and then going to 30% uh, has reduced the cost a little bit by the way, um, and has allowed us to access some of those. We're, we've got a lot of uh, gated communities in areas like the Gold Coast in Australia. And, um, and uh, rather than telephone, because, you know, with, with people not having landlines now and, and having mobiles, you can't actually match the mobile to the area. So if you're trying to survey an area, sometimes that's a problem. What the app uh, trial showed us last year, and we're doing another super pilot. I was talking to a couple of people beforehand. We're doing a super pilot in the next few months. We're not GFK, it's the Royal We. Um, as part of our new contract with them, we negotiated that they would do all this research for us. Uh, and they're doing a super pilot around the five major cities of Australia, looking at the watch, looking at integrating streaming data, and also looking again at the app. Now, what the app test showed us last year was that, yeah, people will accept an app, but then some of them um, will download it and never use it, will switch it off. Others will uh, delete it from their, from their phone once they realise that we're actually monitoring their listening. Um, and now, of course, we've got all those GDRP privacy things as well that we've got to get across. Um, but what the app did show was while it didn't pick up headphone listening uh, or streaming, it did mirror the patterns of the diary. So even in terms of age, demographics, etc., listening patterns, you know, key day parts, time spent listening, that sort of thing, um, the app trial, and even the watch, that dreadful watch that, you know, people have been trying to sell everyone for years, um, which also does not pick up streaming or headphone listening, by the way, uh, but, and costs three times as much, um, <laughs> but um, it also showed that the patterns of listening and the listening by demo, all that stuff, uh, is the same as the diary. doesn't show the quantum that we get in the diary because you're missing probably 20 to 30% of your listening with headphone and streaming and all that sort of stuff. One more point. I think, I think for me, um, one other important point is, is education. Educating the industry, both ourselves and the media buyers. Because um, at the digital age that we all live in, everybody's worried about ROI, you know. I advertise with you, what do I get in return? That kind of thing. So, so when the numbers shift, you get questioned about 
uh, the cost per thousand, uh, how much are you costing and those kind of things. But at the end of the day, really, if we are all striving for return on investment, I think it's important that we look at the quality of, of our listeners and those are the things we should be talking about, especially when we speak to media buying um, uh, agencies. Because at this point in time, everything is so reliant on the numbers. When there's a small shift, you are questioned and you are answerable and that kind of thing. So education, 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 uh, so that we all understand uh, the numbers on a material form in terms of what do they mean. Just on that point, you're right. And our survey providers, whoever they are, because we tender every three or four years, um, but GFK has just recently been reappointed, uh, they are required to go out and do training sessions in agencies and, and they have this thing called the uh, radio rating survival kit which they give out and, and that ensures then that agency, although they still don't understand it. The other point I have to make is that we're very protective of our currency in Australia across all networks and, and our public um, uh, broadcasters because it's our lifeblood. So if there any salesperson is found to have gone out and questioned the currency or said, oh, no, it, these ratings are wrong because we went down a little bit or, you know, they went up, um, they're pulled in, they're hauled over the coals because, you know, the, current, the ratings, whether, whether we say we're trying to improve them, like we're, we're not saying the diary methodology, even with the online, is perfect. It's not. Uh, but it's better than the electronic that's available. Maybe our new hybrid system that we'll announce later in the year will be be the beautiful Nirvana. It won't be. There'll still be flaws. Um, but, you know, protecting your currency is so important because as soon as you've got people publicly questioning your currency or saying, oh, those figures aren't right, um, you get the people in agencies questioning them and then everybody starts questioning them. So you've really got to drill that in that, you know, this is our currency, we believe in it. And yeah, while we say we will improve it, it's still very valid and we've proven that with our own independent research. It's just so important because it can be so destructive. And we've had people on air say, oh, these ratings aren't worth anything because I've only got a 2% share and I think I should have a 10% share. So they were hauled into the CEO's office and said, no comments on ratings, no on-air people are meant to make comments on ratings. So. Yeah, it's just very protective, uh, very important to protect your currency, I think. Yeah, interesting. By the way, I'm one of the few people I know who's actually seen and filled in a diary. <laughs> many, many years ago, <laughs> before I was involved in radio, quite by chance, somebody knocked on the door. Uh, yes, Nadia. Apologies, I was just saying that with the shift from the old SAF to the BRC, the one important factor is to be mindful of the fact that the boundaries, the new municipal boundaries in terms of this democracy and the way that things have changed have now been a key factor. So that's critical. The other thing is to France and, and the earlier point, Joan, is the gold standard, the auditing that, that Omar you know, mentioned, and the fact that in developing this research, the uh, organisers looked at international benchmarks and best practice, Australia was one of them, and that because it's audited so rigorously and that you do stick to that gold standard, it is again about the entire industry coming behind it and making sure that we do then protect that currency to your point. I think it's absolutely critical. But just France, we have this discussion every time, is the transformation agenda on the, on the advertising and marketing side and what we're seeing. So well done to the SABC that uh, African language stations are doing so well. But we've always had this challenge with getting advertisers on all our platforms. So just to say congrats on that one. 
Yeah, thanks very much for that, that additional comment. Um, I don't want to spend all of our time on audience measurement. I mean, that's obviously an important topic. But um, Omar earlier talk, on talked about cooperation and the difficulties that we have with cooperation. Nada, from an SABC perspective, I mean, how do you see that? Is, is that? Are you going to be reaching out to the rest of the industry to, to work together on some of these things? I mean, audience measurement is one of the areas where it does work, right? People do actually um, agree that that's, as you say, a common currency, a gold standard. Um, yes, it is. Um, but, you know, that's one of the reasons that we are now focusing on the qualitative aspects of our research, because that's what, um, that's the currency that you sell to the advertisers, the, um, you know, the lifestyles of your listeners, their insights into, you know, um, what they're spending on. Um, and that's, that's, that's what we've been driving very hard as the SAPC, and it's, you know, um, the results that we're seeing now um, of them buying more into the African language radio stations is to say, this is, this is what these people, you know, are, are doing. You know, this is how they live their lives, and um, these are their choices and their preferences, which um, the SAPC has invested a lot in, in the education of the, the, the advertisers. Um, yeah. I mean, broader cooperation, I mean, beyond just research. I mean, are there other areas where, um, Omar, where you would, where you would see um, cooperation being useful? Yeah, I think it's absolutely essential. I think the problem we have is we see each other as the enemy and we're not. We're, uh, we're fighting against lots of others who want to take what we have. And we really need to start saying... This is an industry uh, of however many radio operators that needs to think first about how we protect our space, our share, our territory. We're not doing that sufficiently. So I, I don't see why, you know, it, it, it's, it's destructive for, for Prime Media to think the enemy is the SABC or the SABC to think that Cajiso is the enemy or AME or community radio. That's not, the, that's not how we should be thinking. And Joan was talking about Building radio, that's our f number one fundamental task. Every one of us in this industry should say, the, f the reason we exist is to build radio, to build our industry, and whatever radio becomes in the future, to build that, to build audio. And we should be cooperating much more because this, if you look around the world, if you look at what's happening in Australia, you look at the UK, when, when the industry gets together to show off about all of its capability, firstly, a single operator can't do that because it's immediately questioned. Of course, maybe even as an industry there are questions asked, but we can put together robust studies, we can put together fantastic case, uh, case or testimonials. We can do a lot more to enhance and sustain our future if we work together. But fragmented, we're in a lot of trouble. So I, you know, that's really... And I think against the, certainly the, the, the internet behemoths, there is a lot of work to be done to be able to contend, to be able to show, to be able to provide evidence of what, why this particular medium is sustainable. Yeah, 100%, I concur with my colleagues. I mean, if you look at our REMs and look at the time spent listening on radio, on average, um, for some of the radio station, it's more than five hours. That just tells you about relevance, that the medium is still very much relevant. Sometimes people talk about radio being about um, a sunset industry. I strongly don't believe so. I mean, I think radio still have a long way to go. Yesterday, when they were talking about DAB, 
they spoke a lot, a lot about um, how best uh, to, how can we take this to another level just by collaboration. So I really think there's a lot that we can do as an industry. Like Oma says, instead of seeing each other as a competition, we should see each other and cooperate to really defend the space and work together to make sure that the industry is sustainable. I still think there's a lot more that we can do, but we honestly are not doing it. I was reading some time ago about RAB, um, what it used to do then and, and where it is today. So for me, things like that are kind of disappointing, but I think the generation that's in the industry today should be doing stuff that will take the industry to another level. I know I saw on track two, on the, um, on the program, that there's something that Mr. Grab will be running on track number two, just about collaboration. So I think the industry really has a lot to do in that regard. Yes, I was about to mention, I didn't know it's a concern of Nick's from, uh, from Cajizo, and he'll be dealing with that in a session later on. Yeah, we only get together when we think there's an imminent existential crisis. <laughs> so when we're about to die, we try to save ourselves. It's kind of human, that, isn't it? <laughs> um, if there are comments or questions from anyone, I mean, do indicate. I'm just going to collect one or two. Nick, Michael over there, and at the back, Lance. Um, okay, well, let's take those, actually, and, and then we'll go back to one or two other things. I want to hear about smart speakers. But, Nick, uh, let's just do this. Thanks. I, I don't want to take us back to the currency discussion in too much detail, but I, there is one observation that I want to make, which, which I think is, for me, it's to, I've been quite involved in the soft transition, and... It's only recently that this penny's dropped for me, and, and with my proximity, I, I would then guess that it's, it's, uh, it, it's quite a, a big issue that we need to confront across uh, the, the buying and the, and the planning side, is that actually the nature of a currency, if you speak to the researchers, the researchers will tell you that it's about share. And all of their statistical validity is about how they extrapolate your share of audience against a universe. And I, I'm going to say some research-related stuff that probably researchers will cringe because I, I'm, I'm a layman. But we as an industry are obsessed with the number, right? So, so, so if a share actually moves by a point something of a percent, there is an indicative indication of what the audiences are. And so, so the, the absolute number is indicative. It's actually not an absolute number. It's not statistically valid. The share is statistically valid. I remember with, with SAF, we used to get very upset because we'd say, there's been this, we've lost 100,000 listeners, and they'd be going, but it's statistically accurate. And, and actually, they were correct in research terms. Now, we can't change that necessarily. We, we can't, what we need to do is recognize that the industry is planning against an indicative number, not a statistically valid number, which is actually share. I mean, Joan was talking earlier, her vernacular in Australia is share. It's not cost per thousand like, like we have here. We, we, we only use this, this, uh, this kind of mythical uh, number of absolute, uh, absolute numbers. And on, on that, we, we base our cost per point, our cost per thousands. All of the planning per quarter hour is based on something that is indicative of, a, of, in some cases, a very small and statistically invalid shift in share. But yet it affects us in RAND terms. So, so what I'm saying effectively is we need to engage with the industry on a narrative and re-engage re with them so that they, they understand, that we understand, actually when a fluctuation is indicative. And I notice on the BRC um, website currently, they've got, a, they've got a validity calculator. 
So you can actually put your numbers in there and it'll tell you whether or not the move was statistically valid or whether it wasn't. So before we get carried away by running around the, with this indicative number, that can be very misleading. Thanks very much. So it, it really comes back to this issue of education also to some extent, to understand what one is actually dealing with. Hi, Michael from Media Online Media Magazine. Quick question for the panelists. Uh, you talked about the threat of people coming to eat radio's lunch. In this industry itself, online radio stations, not online elements of terrestrial stations, purely online stations. How do you see their positioning in this industry? And are they really a threat to the terrestrial stations? Okay. Can we get that microphone right to the back there while um, we get some answers here? Can, do you want to share a mic? Sorry. So, so I, uh, I don't think that there are any stations that would call themselves just terrestrial FM stations anymore among uh, most operators. Well, I guess the big commercial operators. So online stations are siblings. Uh, we have online streaming. We have podcasts, a lot of us. So we're pretty much in that space as well. Uh, I, I, there's one statistic that, there have been a few dissertations now written about how you need to operate in a media environment that is fragmenting at a ridiculously fast pace. And it's not happy news, the fact that you've got to spend 10 times more on marketing, but it's the truth. That unless you start to tell people you've got this kind of cool stuff going on, People just don't know. And it's a reality we've got to confront. And let me tell you, in this country, when I look around, radio stations marketing themselves are very few and far between. Very few and far between talking about the incredible or amazing content that's going on. Spotify has more billboards than any other radio station in this country. It's outrageous. It's, we're also free. So uh, let's not forget the kind of values that we have. Not only are we free, we've got free music and we've got free amazing talent. How often do we tell people about that? How often do we tell people about Eusebius MacKaiser saying some of the craziest stuff on the radio from time to time? We don't. And I, the, the dissertations are really about the fact that in an environment that is as fragmented as this one, you've got to be noticed and that means telling people you exist, telling people what's going on. And others are starting to do that better than we are in the audio and the smart speakers, all of those things have potential for us to prosper. But we'd better start telling people why we're relevant and why young people should start to pay attention, not just watch all their music on YouTube. You know, so I, there's, a, there's a lot of work to be done, but we've, uh, I guess, and it's you know, rich for me to say it, but. Our shareholders, we don't want to go and offend them by spending 50 million rand or 25 or 10 or 12 on marketing. Actually, you've got to tell them if they are going to be sustainable in this business and if they're in for the long term, they'd better start to do that. So the answer to Michael's question is no. The purely online streaming stations are not a, are not in comp are not a, comp a bad competitor. But can I make just one more other point? Yes. Um, 
So if you look at the RAMs in terms of where, where, which platforms do people use to listen to radio, mm. you find that um, over 80% it's still households, still at home, but there's a huge amount on the phone, there's a huge amount online, there's a huge amount on TV. So what's important for us as radio industry is that we make sure that we are at those touch points. When people are looking for us, we must be there, which is why we're doing things like podcasting. We have online stuff. and So it's about making sure that you're relevant and you're available when people are in need to tune in. Sure. Yeah. Uh, there was a point at the back, Lance. Hi, um, sorry, going back to audience currency. Omar, you were very polite, you skirted around the industry. Let's be honest, Rams is crap, but it's the best we've got. Okay. I didn't hear you say that, you, but, but I... <laughs> okay, now the bottom line is, and I re really wanted to find out from Joan, um, and I'll, I'll sort of phrase it. In South Africa, the first day that the Ram data is released to the market, the youngest piece of data is 50 days old. What is the time difference, time lag in Australia? 14 days. Okay, so can you imagine making a decision on 50-day-old data, trying to make a, a proper marketing decision? The second thing is we've got to start, and we're talking about storytellers in this panel, we've got to start moving advertising agencies away from how many, and advertisers away from how many listeners you have to who. How many is irrelevant? Because... 500,000 people don't necessarily buy a car, but who buys a car as an individual? And you can paint that into a far tighter demographic. We're in a digital age and we need to move to a better um, currency. I know it's going to cost a lot of money, but we need to be looking at far more detailed, far, more, far better analysis of the whom. And as stations, you need to tell a, better, a more accurate story. I, th I think you're under a misapprehension if you think current electronic metering devices are an improvement on the diary. They're not. They've got many, many, many flaws and compliance with carrying them around and with the app, as we found, leaving it on your phone or actually turning it on is just one of them. Now, I might have lied there because we released the third the Tuesday of the third week after the last day of the survey. So it's a little bit more than 14 days. It's probably... 17 or something like that. Um, but that's all part of our contract. We have a very tough um, contract with our... Um, and they've got a whole range of KPIs they have to meet or we don't pay them. So, but that's an industry contract as well that we manage for the industry. Um, look, I think it, it's unfair to say, you know, you've got, you, you've got to get better data. You know what? Who says that having a panel of 500 people sitting in Sydney with a set-top box measuring television is any more accurate to say that they're the habits of five million Sydney-siders. Who says that? The researchers do. Okay, yeah, okay, we might believe you. Well, we would never, ever, ever publicly criticise. We never would. Another, except online maybe, another um, <laughs> mediums, another mediums currency because we rebuff any, any publicly, publicly, we rebuff any criticism of our own currency, as you must. Um, online, we're critical of. I was having a discussion about this before this session. What we're critical of there is the total lack of focus on the accuracy of what they're putting out. Um, whereas, you know, we're under the gun all the time. TV's under the gun. Even cable TV is under the gun. Print, well, print, nobody... Does anybody really believe any of those circulation figures anymore? Um, I think they're, they're being... They're under... 
under scrutiny. But online, you know, we were talking about video ads being counted as being seen by someone, whoever. But in, I say in Australia, but it's, it's a worldwide phenomena. Um, sometimes you can't get rid of an ad when it pops up. If you're watching something, it'll play and it'll say, your video will play after this ad. And then the next trick, of course, is um, the ridiculous amount of time an ad has to play online before it's counted. And it's this ad will, you can skip this ad in five seconds. So they're getting all these metrics, you know, and they're using these metrics to say your ads have been seen. When most people are scrambling to try and skip the ad. I, I have a grandson who's very little and, and an addict at digital stuff. And he spends his time going, skip the ad, skip the ad, skip the ad, when he's watching YouTube for kids. So it's like, skip the ad, skip the ad. And, and, and I think there'll be a whole breed of consumer who are online natives who will have that mentality and it will be skip the ad. And so we were saying this in Australia when we released the Infinite Dial research that Spotify is driving people more and more to their um, subscription service. YouTube Music has said it's going to do that over the next 12 months, so we'll see how that works out. They're going to push the ads so that people subscribe to YouTube Music. Where does that leave radio? Hey, advertisers, we've got millions of people listening to us still happily, some for five hours a week, some for 20 hours a week, and we're free to air. We've still got this massive reach and they can't skip our ads. So yeah, that's, that, you, that's the research that you do. And when you get those research results, you then go out to the advertisers and say, well, you see this trend, but radio's still here and we've still got massive reach and massive audience. Sorry, I, I went on too long too. I'm sorry. Nick, so, do you want to respond as um, XBRC chairman to that particular statement earlier? <laughs> I think that was more of a, a, a kind of comment. And I, I do want to move off the kind of research um, end of things. Um, I mean, some of you have talked about youth, right? And, and I think one of the things you said also in Singapore, Joan, Joan was that the, that the smart speakers have reinvented radio for a young generation. Now, we haven't seen much activity in the smart speaker space here yet. I'm sure there are people scrambling to change that. But um, it's obviously coming. Can you say something about how that's gone and how that's worked? Well, it's early days in Australia. It's, it's not even that mature in the US. You know, the household penetration is not, not um, as great as it will be in a couple of years. Uh, in the US, the interesting thing is Amazon is the highest selling and Google is second by a long way. In Australia, Google got out first selling their Google Home and Amazon is coming second. And Apple have released HomePod and it's absolutely hopeless. So it, I think for a while it will only be Apple aficionados that will buy the Apple HomePod. One thing we've discovered though is you have to, as an industry, take control of the radio experience. Because we now have an industry app called Radio App good for us, um, and everyone has their own apps, but we decided we'd take an industry approach to smart speakers. Um, and we've got it now an executive that just focuses on radio app and the digital space and industry strategy on that. And he tested all the stations on Amazon Alexa, because we're working with Google, Amazon, Apple and Sonos um, to access radi radio through radio app for Australian radio not tune in, by the way, which gives listeners a dreadful experience. But we found on Amazon Alexa that um, only 21% of, of stations that were requested actually got the right station. Alexa otherwise gave you something in a different city, in a different country, because it went through tune in. Um, and Sonos uh, 
defaults to tuning. Now, they're changing that on Australia. It's going to default to radio app, which will be fantastic. Um, and we get all that data, which is even better, so we'll know more about the listeners. But, you know, that, that's one thing I'd say. Think about that as an industry issue. How are you going to approach these device manufacturers and say, we will give you a good radio, local radio experience. TuneIn doesn't even carry probably all of your stations, certainly doesn't carry all Australian stations. And we've got now 300 stations on radio app, including all our regional stations and all our DAB plus stations, plus the ABC and SBS. So, so control mean, the experience, that's what I'd say, if you can. Yeah. I mean, Ross, who's in the audience who will be talking, was telling me yesterday that he tried to, re to hear Jack Aranda sitting in New Jersey. And that was really easy, right? Um, uh, but when he tried to reach 947, he got all sorts of other places. Because it's, and it's in the common, it's in the rare, in the unusualness of the name, right, that, that helps you. But why do those smart speakers particularly help young people? Well, uh, you know, we, we've got 79% reach into commercial alone, into 10 to 17-year-olds. So, you know, we don't think young people don't listen to radio. Um, but we think it's another avenue. If you've got an Amazon Alexa sitting in your... or Google Home or an Apple, you know, I don't want to be specific about the speaker. And, you know, kids love it. And, oh, you know, can I have some music? Well, you know, you, can you play my favourite radio station? Or can you play... Once we get them educated in Australia, they'll, they'll recognise the stations. It's another easy, fun, you know, not old-fashioned way of accessing radio. And so what we're going to do when we've actually got them onto Amazon and um, Sonos, which will be in the next few weeks, we'll be making an announcement and running an ad campaign on all our stations to say, hey, radio app, now, now we're not trying to push people away from broadcasting, but we know the only way you can get radio in these speakers is, is with an app, but we want it to be a good experience. We don't want people to go searching for radio, oh, I can't find it, I'll just listen to Spotify. Um, so we'll be running an, an ad on air on every commercial station across the country because they're all on radio app and on SBS which is the government broadcaster that can take funding uh, saying hey radio app download it now easy to use all local radio now available Amazon and Sonos so to alert people that are listening to the radio as well that oh if I go and buy that I can get my favorite radio station so that's really interesting because I think in South Africa often the narrative that we hear is young people are going elsewhere. We're losing the young audience. Do you worry about the young audience, Nada? Yes, we do. Um, actually, you know, um, we, we're also observing this uh, young people dictating the terms of how they want to consume their media or radio specifically with our own 5FM, for instance. Well, 5 is declining sharply in terms of the 5FM or the, the BRC RAMs, but they are growing phenomenally on the social media space and the streaming and, you know, everything else. So young people are still consuming the station, but then they're just not consuming it, you know, on the uh, traditional, you know, way of, of listening to the radio. So it is important that we, we, we follow the trends, you know, um, follow the young people, listen to them, because they, they will keep on dictating the terms. And we, we, we can't always be swimming, you know, against the stream. So we have to embrace all these other platforms that they will be accessing radio. In fact, it's, it's complementary, you know, to, to our radio stations to be on these other platforms. So cheeky of them to want to dictate the terms, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm really irritated that all the 40-year-olds who have these kids are buying them these devices. Stop it immediately. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
Okay, we're just about out of time. I've got dozens more issues that I'd love to touch on. Um, SAFM, for instance, uh, issues of gender in, in radio and all sorts of things. Um, any, any burning issues, either from the audience or from the panel? And then I, want, I don't want to lose the endings of my fairy tale. Okay, there's one there. Talent. We haven't even had a whole thing on talent that I want. Thank you very much. It's from Community anyway. Radio Station, and just to take on your narrative, uh, France, we're the stepchild of this industry. So when you're calling, you're talking about the story of the seven dwarfs remember us as the stepchild in that particular narrative. Uh, you know, when we're talking about building uh, radio and the currency, we find there's a meltdown when it comes to community radio. We don't have proper figures. We don't have proper audiences. Numbers, so that is a big uh, worry for us. When you talk about raw talent, and that's what I want to talk about, a little bit about cooperation. We have raw talent that comes out from community radio station. How much is the public broadcaster and the commercial helping us to develop that particular talent? This is a point that gets made from time to time, is that the mainstream sector, commercial and public, really owe community radio a debt of gratitude for all the talent that you get. So what are you doing about it? Thank you. <laughs> I think we need a bit more than thank you. I think we need a bit more than that. Nada. I've, I've actually been asked that question only yesterday um, by one of the board members because I think uh, it, it came up at a meeting with uh, some community radio stations that uh, what's the public broadcaster doing to develop community radio stations. And my, my, my answer, and I didn't even hesitate, um, to say this, the, the only way we can assist community radio stations is through um, skills development and training. I mean, I'm a product of a community radio myself, and um, I'm forever grateful for, you know, to all the people that were holding our hands and, you know, um, assisting us with training and skills and, you know, um, and everything else. Uh, because we, we go and poach from community radio stations when we're looking for fresh talent. Um, they are the breeding ground for talent. There's, there's nowhere else where, where we go for, for new talent. Yes, um, you know, we, we, we poach from each other as commercial uh, broadcasters, but sometimes that talent comes at a price. So when you're looking for new talent, then community radio, because at least you don't have to, um, you know, you you don't have to start afresh um, in terms of training them. But if you invest in them while they are where they are, then you know you have a better chance of you know um, um, of getting you know even a lot more from them at a at a later stage. So we are as the SABC looking at a at a plan, you know, to work with some community radio stations. I know that some of our stations, actually where they are, are assisting um, community radio. Um, in PE, when I was with UMSA, we were working with a number of community radio stations around our, our, our area. And even radio stations in the Transkai area, from time to time, they send their demos, or they would invite you to their events, and we, we would, you know, um, cherry-pick, you know, the, the best talent that they have. Okay. Exactly. Can I add? I concur with that 100%. And um, for us, really, we 
take this very seriously. It is part of our license condition, so we work very closely with the commercial radio stations in KZN. I think KZN has the highest number of commercial radio stations in South Africa. I think community. we have about, I mean, community, community radio station. I think we have about 27, if I'm not mistaken, in KZN. Uh, so, particular, it's amazing that we talk about it today because we, there's a, a project I'm working on where we're working with one of the growing community radio station um, uh, in, in KZN. Like Nada say, I think we, we uh, like for instance, even for our internship, we try and look for interns uh, from the community radio stations and we have a marketing plan that we've put in place uh, to really try and work as close as possible to them as possible. We've hired people like our traffic guys, a majority of them are from the community radio station. So I think we definitely okay. do work with them. Okay, thanks. Um, we're kind of out of time and I'm going to get into trouble if I go too far over. I'll go into tea time just a little bit to get your endings. What is the continuation? I'm not even going to say ending. What is the continuation of the story of radio and the seven dwarves? I'll Who go first. Can I, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> Okay, so the line started once upon a time, right? Once upon a time. Okay. Once upon a time, there was this medium which managed to captivate the audience. Okay, once upon a time, there was this medium <laughs> which managed to captivate the mindset of millions and millions of people. This medium managed to do this through relevance by being a friend to these millions of people. And it did this in the times where meaningful connections were not as real as what they used to be. And that medium is radio. Okay. And you're saying that continues in that way. Exactly. It continues to be its strength. Joan, you're fixing to... Well, yes. Princess radio. <laughs> She was about 85 when she finally got the throne. Um, but, and, and her little sister, Princess Television, continued to suffer terrible inroads from cousins, Netflix and others. Um, but little, the seven dwarfs, some of them sadly left the palace never to return, like in Australia, Pandora came and went, uh, and many other, you know, of, of the little brothers. But Facebook and Google and uh, Spotify hung in there whilst not, you know, affecting Princess Radio's... Um, or Queen Radio's uh, popularity with her subjects who saw her as someone that could be trusted and, and would continue to play a big part in their life. However, she did press gang into service, the Seven Dwarves, and said to them, you could be great emissaries for me. I can make great use of you, little brothers, um, and that's what I'm going to do. And she continued to do that. And any new family member, be it a grandchild or a uh, cousin, or great-grandchild, uh, Princess Radio lived on many, many, many years as the old queen and uh, continued to adapt wear new coloured hats, threw the gloves away, and people started to see her as a bit hip and happening after a while. <laughs> Matter. Um, once upon a time, there was um, Queen Radio, 
You know, I'm from the Eastern Cape, so I'd, I'd like to tell you another story that um, <laughs> Queen Radio, um, you know, used to draw um, families and children, you know, um, towards her to listen to. There was um, a very ugly, dark character. Don't know whether it was a, a person or a thing, but every child in the communities was terrified of this person, and they would run straight home whenever, you know, it starts to get dark because Uskidi was always lurking around. And that character is remembered even today um, because of Queen Radio, who made sure that she kept families together. And this is what Queen Radio is still doing today with all the dramas and all the stories that she keeps uh, creating and telling to the families all around um, the country. Thank you very much. John's story is so extraordinary. I, <laughs> I just can't compete. Um, so uh, there were these seven dwarves, and uh, they were called grumpy, spiteful, selfish, ugly enemy, big ego. <laughs> but the one of them, one of them, uh, was uh, called community, and community said, "If we work together, we can be so much more." Cast his wand across all of them and changed all their names to happy and let's do things together and uh, etc. If we can get that right, we have possibilities here. And I'm just listening to the example that Joan brought up about the radio app uh, for all radio stations in Australia getting onto. If we try to do it on our own, it's never going to happen. But if we work together, there's so many more opportunities. So we need to change the names of these dwarves. Well, I had no idea what I was going to get back for the fairy tale, and it paid off so handsomely, such different approaches. I think the panelists deserve a really warm round of applause. Um, thank you very much. I think that was a really great first session. Um, I forgot earlier that I was asked to tell you about these um, forms. So the invitation is to fill in whatever you like um, in the blank space. Any thoughts, why you love radio, what it means, anything that you've heard that struck you, uh, put in your social media details. They will be collected. The intention is to photograph them and use these images on an ongoing basis on Twitter uh, to keep the conversation going. So fill these in when you, you, know, when you have a moment and hand them in. Let's do tea. 11 o'clock, the next set of sessions will begin. Thank you very much. <laughs>